Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. In this podcast, we take a reading from Scripture each day. We look at the background material to that passage and also application for us. Once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Illuminated Word. My name is Devin Morris and today we are in Romans chapter 15, verses 14 through 21. So let's start out by reading those verses. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I've written to you very boldly by way of a reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. A lot of good verses here, a lot of things to dig into, so uh, we'll just get right to it. We have here in Paul's line of argumentation a paration, which is the concluding part of a speech typically intended to inspire enthusiasm in the audience. Um, and this is directly directed primarily towards maybe that strong Gentile majority who, um, in chapter 14, they're, they're considered the spiritually strong person who doesn't think that they have certain uh, holidays or certain dietary restrictions placed on them. They are, as Paul would, would call them, strong in the faith. They understand that they have liberties in God that Jewish Christians may not believe that they have. So I guess the question to ask is, why does he go into this paration? Uh, why does he... Um, uh, begin to compliment? Why does he begin to talk about what he has done? Why does he go into this type of argumentation? And it seems to be for the purpose of soliciting funds in order to help the churches in Jerusalem and Spain. And that might be, you know, somewhat humorous if you've ever been in a church and you have a a, a, a preacher or minister from uh, maybe a missionary coming in and they request, request funds. They're going to speak well of you. They're going to uh, maybe compliment you. <laughs> so that is uh, Paul's kind of line of reasoning here why he's going to go into this, but that's by no means the, the whole purpose of this section, though. Uh, what can also be seen here, if, if we're looking at these set of verses as a whole, is that the first 15 verses of Romans are actually all brought up here again. So if you look at verses 1 and 5 of chapter 1, he talks about himself and his apostleship to the Gentiles, which is mentioned here. If you look at verses 2 through 4, chapter 1, he talks about the gospel that, of Jesus and specifically what the gospel is. Not simply, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus, but the actual gospel uh, is in verses 2 through 4 of the first chapter, and it's brought up again here. The world-renowned faith and spiritual gifts of the Roman Christians, which is spoken of in verses 8 and then 11 through 12 in chapter 1 is brought up here again, as well as Paul's eagerness, his deep desire, and his plans to go to Rome, um, despite you know complications in getting there. 
to share the faith. And so uh, that's in verses 10, 11, 13, and 15 of chapter 1. Again, brought up here. So you're already getting this effect of um, what many really good writers uh, would do in antiquity is have kind of the main themes, uh, primary things they want to talk about in the beginning, and have them mirrored in the end. So it's a very fitting closing. If you're reading this or reading this to a group of people, they know it's it's being summed up. They know the, the letter is coming to a close because they're hearing the similar themes that were brought up in the beginning. So, so far, uh, this is all just Paul being a really good uh, a writer. He's being a good rhetorician in that he is making a, a good argument, and it's very formal. It's done in a—if anyone from antiquity is reading this, they're, they're reading and saying, wow, this guy really knows how to make an argument. He knows how to uh, be really synchronous with uh, several of his arguments. If we look at all the arguments Paul's before, this is really his 12th argument. So Romans is just chock full of uh, Paul making all of these, these big points and then being able to tie them all in together— uh, through parallelism and using the same type of wording and uh, structure. So it, you can't say enough good things about the, the book of Romans just in how it was written, uh, not even addressing content, just how it was written. All right, so let's go verse by verse here, and let's, uh, let's think about what Paul is saying. So in verse 14, we get this compliment, and in the compliment, maybe you can dig a little deeper and find the reasoning for what he's doing like we've already talked about. So several reasons, though, as a whole, why he is complimenting. One, he is trying to con- con- to collect funds. Uh, that's a real thing to think about. Two, that these are real attributes that the Christians there have, and so why not compliment them? There's, there's no reason to think that Paul isn't being sincere. Uh, that wouldn't be in line with Paul's character. Uh, the fact that Paul says these specific things about the Christians here in Rome just goes to show that this is the attributes that they really possessed. So they, they're real attributes that the Christians have. Uh, a third reason that he is complimenting them in this way is that they have no apostolic foundation um, nor any plans for missionary work. And what I mean by that is um, Paul's here in a second going to say, he never intends to build on a foundation that's already there. Uh, what he's saying is an apostolic foundation. He's not going to work in a church where there is already uh, an apostle there present, um, relaying God's will, clarifying things, revealing mystery. He's not going to do that. So that just goes to show that there there has been no apostle up until this point in Rome. And so Paul is kind of taking this church under his wing and, and showing them the ropes, so to say. And that's why Romans is so chock full of doctrinal and ethical teaching is that they ha- they don't have anyone there to, to teach them those things. If they don't have anyone to teach them those those basic things, um, they definitely don't have anyone to kind of start this missionary program because Paul really is the instigator of all missionary work in the, the early church. So they don't have an apostle to push that, so Paul is going to be that person. He's going to come and he's going to say, hey, these churches need to be reached out to uh, you can begin your missionary work in doing that. So there's a lot of reasons to Paul kind of taking this line of argumentation. All right, in verse 15, um, he talks about that he's writing these things and talking this way as a way of reminder. And so you're, I guess the, the question a lot of people have is, well, what is the reminders? 
part of this a reminder? Is the whole thing just a reminder? What is is the reminding part? Well, I think we can safely say that chapters 9 through 11 are not the reminder. That is something that the Gentile Christians here in Rome did not know about. That was a mystery revealed to them. It could go to show that maybe the rest of what Paul has said is a uh, reminder, things that they already knew. So that might clear up some confusion there with what he's referring to. In verse 16, uh, you get the most priestly language used by Paul uh, up to this point, and it's all about himself. Now you get the very you know direct word here in verse um, 16 that can be translated priestly, uh, an adjective form of, of the word priest, but you also get the word minister at the beginning of verse 16. Normally the word used there is diakonos, uh, that's the really common word for minister that Paul even uses other places. But here he uses a more liturgical form of the word that is primarily used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, whenever the word priest is used. So Paul is using Old Testament language. He's talking about priests, and he's applying it all to himself. And so it really just goes to show you how Paul viewed himself, which is really cool. He viewed himself as an Old Testament priest. He is really giving the people the law. He is showing them what they are supposed to do, and he didn't necessarily, I mean, you know, he considers himself an apostle, but he's not prophet. He's not uh, anything like that. He considers himself a, a priest. That is his uh, self-designation. Verses 17 through 19, um, I think can kind of be summed up all together and maybe even throw verse 20 in there. But in verse, starting in verse 17, he starts talking about what he has done. And he uh, begins by saying that he's proud of what he has done. I had a professor at Faulkner that said, uh, you can never say that you're proud of something. You can never be uh, proud of something you did or someone else did. You can never be proud. And um, he really hit on that in our Bible classes. And I've always thought that was weird considering that Paul seems to be proud of the things that he did. But Let's take notice of what Paul can be proud about. It's not things that he does. It's not self-accomplishments. It's only the things that God has done through him. It's very specific. It's not what God is doing through other people. He's not proud about those things. He can take pride only in what God is doing through him. He's not going to make judgments on God's activity in another person's life. You can also see from this section of verses here that he cares about and this is specifically the end of verse 18, he cares about faith-filled obedience, not just faith and not just obedience. Um, he wants to bring Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. So not just something that they have some intellectual assent in, that they have a knowledge of God, but that is actually being worked out. In the reverse of that, not that they just have obedience, but that it is something that they have intellectually, verbally committed to as well. And uh, lastly here in, in verse 19, this um, Jerusalem to um, Illyricum reference is kind of like the northern arc of the Mediterranean. Um, uh, it's kind of like modern-day Albany, I believe, uh, where former Yugoslavia would have been, and that's the area he's referring to. What he's not saying, it's not like you take a, a an imaginary rectangle and say, oh, he covered all the places from Illyricum to Jerusalem. No, it's really like this northern arc. If you trace out his missionary journeys, he 
went to specific churches, uh, primarily highly populated, uh, Roman-controlled cities. And this is all for the purpose of kind of starting out in the higher ranks of society, knowing that it will trickle down. Uh, that seemed to have been Paul's um, mode of operation. Not to say that he did not reach out to the poor and the defenseless and the widows. He definitely did that. But he first aimed at the quote-unquote powerful in society. Uh, and, and in saying that he has, if you notice the language here, it sounds like he's, he's done everything. He's uh, evangelized the whole world. Uh, the end of verse 19 says, I fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Wow, that sounds really complete. But I think he is talking like this whole section of verses. He's talking very personally, that he has personally set out to do all that God told him to do. So that, that's a, I mean, that's just kind of amazing that that is what Paul has done, a mission given to him by God, and he has fully completed it. He's done everything that uh, Christ has required of him up to this point. So uh, maybe a word of encouragement to us, but also um, definitely an example. What God sets before us, we, we can't accomplish, no matter how big it looks. If God said that we can do it, uh, we can do it. Verse 20 here is where he talks about not building on another's foundation. And some people have kind of raised an eyebrow to this because that seems to be what he's doing when he writes um, the book of Colossians as well as Philemon, places where churches were already established and most likely where uh, there was an apostolic authority. So I think when he says not building on another's foundation, it's not necessarily he's not going to do any teaching. Um, he, he definitely can come in and correct or... Uh, give it um, a word of exhortation, I guess, so to say. So trying to balance out there exactly what Paul means about not building on another's foundation um, might be a little unclear and maybe not a hard and fast rule that should be applied to preachers. You know, you, you, It's not that you just can't go to another congregation and give a word of exhortation or correct doctrine, whatever the case. Paul does says uh, does say he, he doesn't want to do that, doesn't do it, but yet he kind of does do it. So we, we need to kind of figure out what Paul is actually trying to say here. In verse 21, uh, this is probably the verse that needs to be emphasized most, but I'm already running out of time here. Uh, verse 21 is quoting Isaiah 52, 15. And what's really interesting here, this is the beginning of the fourth song of the servant, which is how Isaiah kind of plots out his book there. But Paul seems to place himself as the servant who carries out God's will, which is really interesting because if you go on through the rest of 52 and specifically going into 53, that's the one that we always refer to when speaking about Jesus. So it's maybe baffling that Paul places himself here um, in this position. But if you go back and look at you know, the hermeneutics of ancient Jews or Greco-Roman uh, Jewish interpretation, they kind of did this often, that these, what we would consider as Christians, messianic uh, prophecy or messianic verses, scripture, uh, they did not always apply to a future Messiah. Sometimes they would place themselves in the position of, of whatever verse, whatever person. Paul seems to be doing that. He is using a form of Jewish and uh, hermeneutic that says, uh, I can see myself here in this verse, that I am actually the servant that God called 
that I am the servant that God used for this specific purpose. Um, and his purpose being that those who have uh, not seen him will see him, and, and those who have not heard will understand. And that's what Paul has done in his ministry so far, visiting all these places that did not have apostolic teaching, bringing them truth, setting up churches. Um, and that was really what he was really called to do, is be this example of church planting. What should this look like? That is something that our churches should be a part of now, if we're not already. Hope this has been a good study. Hope you got some good things out of it. I pray that you're finding ways to love and serve your neighbor in genuine and sincere ways. Peace and love.